Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Some, hello, by the way. Hello. Hello, hello. And goodbye. Hello and goodbye. In so many ways. Yep. My two brief appearances on this award-winning, record-breaking podcast. Yep, are over. Are Just over. about to be. <laughs> yes. Have you enjoyed your time it's on a... It's been amazing. ...off air? Yes, it's been yeah. amazing. Apart from Monday when you went in, and tomorrow when I stupidly... I was going to hosting a lunch, so I decided to carry on doing that instead of cancelling it. And spending four days doing the show, which would yeah. be lovely. Now, what's the lunch? Are we allowed to know, or is it top secret? It's not top secret, really. It's just a sort of... Um, I've got Matt Dancona coming to speak. Do you remember him? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's a terribly damning Former editor of The Spectator, speaking to a... I do, yes. ...a group of uh, friends of mine. OK, well, that's very nice. Because you shouldn't really say, well, you're, I think you're the same age as me, aren't you? 54. Mm. Do you affect the language we exactly of, the, the same age. of the teenager? I behave like a teenager. Oh, do you? Okay. Yes. So I'm would you. I'm an incredibly you, immature person. Would you say. I had no idea we were the same age, but that's, I, it sounds like I'm now being rude to you. It but the does. point is, I was serious <laughs> about the fact that I kind of grew up with you in the sense that when I started, I guess I was a little Tory boy in my early 30s. And I'd appear on your show. I suppose I couldn't get my, I can't get my head around that you were hosting an award-winning, that I was multi-million listener show in your early thirties. I, but of course, why not? Why not? Well, it's worse than that actually, because I started doing the uh, breakfast show at GLR when I was twenty-four, wow. and Jane's the same. So she was in her mid-twenties when she did her breakfast show you were at BC Hereford and Worcester. But I get ahead of myself. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but that, that I do feel a bit bad about that because you're basically saying that you've spent the last uh, couple of days to... thinking, God, she's really old. No, <laughs> no, I thought you said you feel bad because I, get out of it now, mate. I can't Damage is done. cope with your youthful success. Yeah, no, don't be silly. <laughs> uh, anyway, look, here we go. Uh, this is someone who wishes to remain anonymous who has sent us an email saying, Good morning. I'm on holiday in Donegal, which is maybe like the east of Scotland, or is it the west? Or maybe it's even better than those, as it's spectacular, in my opinion. Are you an east coast of Scotland person or a west coast of Scotland person, Ed? 
Well, I'm a Donegal person. Okay, I mean, well, Donegal is spectacularly beautiful, but she's talking about Donegal in Northern Ireland. Obviously. She is, but we've been having a previous discussion oh, uh, about East versus West oh, in Scotland. I'm, I'm an East Coast. Oh, excellent. Yes, I'm excellent. an East Coast. Uh, anyway, says Anonymous, I was driving to Northern Ireland to see relatives by myself for once, hence I was able to listen to endless episodes, Joy of Joys. Firstly, the one about the NASA scientists, which was so interesting, then the one about Suzanne Hayward. Same age as me, but made my childhood growing up in the 1970s and 80s in Belfast seems so boring. Then on the way home, I didn't think there could be anything as interesting, but there was Alice Wynn, again, fascinating. Uh, back to reality next week. I'm a secondary school teacher in England. Uh, thanks for keeping me sane last term. I often listen to you on the way home and you nearly always to help and you nearly always helped. Stressful term due to starting a new job in January. Several health issues and three teenagers at home. That does sound uh, like quite a lot. Uh, and you've also just read At the Table, which is one of Jane's recommendations, and you want to say thank you for that. And you've also, also just read I Feel Bad About My Neck by Nora Ephron. Uh, and I just wanted to read your email out loud for exactly that reason, Anonymous. It is probably my favourite non-fiction book uh, of all time. Uh, and I'm glad it made you laugh out loud a lot too. Is that Nora Nega, Ephron's Nora, autobiography? Well, it's a collection of essays uh, that uh, span nearly her entire career, actually. There are a couple of early ones to do with Watergate and her knowledge of that as a journalist, and it goes all the way through to some of the very funny ones that she wrote about ageing, and that's what the title refers to. And this is a newspaper column that she wrote, was So, it? yes, so some of them are newspaper columns, and some of them, I think, were actually written specifically for that book, but it's one of her best compilations, and oh, every single one's a winner. It. Oh, Ed, you should. I it's might go and order it off the old Amazon. Superb. Yeah. And, and I or go think, to my local bookshop, which you might not have it. Yes, no, please do that, obviously, mm. please do that. Uh, I think if you ever wanted to read a book that just uh, allows you inside the female brain in a very clever, funny way, uh, for me, it would always be Nora Ephron. But she's very funny anyway. Oh, she's super Even if funny. you're a man. Yes. And At the Table, what's all that about? Oh, so At the Table is a recommendation of a novel from Jane Garvey. Which, Who's it by? Uh, I can't remember. I want, mm. to say, uh, I want to say Emma Powell. But I've not read it myself. Kia is handily going to the Google it and we'll make sure that we get it right. Should I read that? Anyway? Yes, please. Could Chris, you? Chris Aram, she yes. doesn't want to remain anonymous. Uh, going out and about by yourself with Jenny A. Claire. My husband died in November. Very sorry to hear that, Chris. And I'm slowly getting used to living alone. Next week, I'm going to theatre by myself to see Paul Young in conversation and indeed hopefully singing quite right I hope, I hope he does sing i'll let you know how it goes yes please do i won't be here but fee will want to know how it goes love the podcast it's kept me entertained during many a low time that's good to hear isn't it it is people really like your podcast don't they don't so I've, ups surprised. I've upset you again haven't i i mean it no they do people, it's kind of part of their lives we've got a really without wishing to overdo it really but. lovely community out yes. there really really lovely like-minded and uh, we tell each other everything and we're really really thrilled actually with our audience it's by claire powell at the table and do you know what? i should just say that jane got if Claire Powell's listening, or a friend of Claire Powell's is listening, Jane got your name wrong, first of all. <laughs> I now couldn't remember your name. We're not doing well, apparently. It is a brilliant book. Uh, right, shall we head straight to uh, our interview today, oh, Ed? Yes. Would you like to reintroduce it? It was with a really fantastic author whose success you just... It's almost mind-boggling how successful this young woman is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Cecilia 
uh, Ahern, everyone has kind of heard of, kind of young or old, because she not only published her first novel when she was 21, but that got turned into, I think, quite a well-known movie, P.S. I Love You. Uh, anyway, she's published a novel every year since she's published 19 novels, and she's sold 25 million of them. Uh, so she is, you know, a global best-selling novelist. So it's a great privilege to have her in. And she was absolutely charming. Her latest novel, she says, is her best. Uh, it charts the young adult life of her heroine, Alice, who is trying to negotiate a world that has dealt her quite a few poor hands. Her father's left. She has a mother with mental health problems. She has an out-of-control younger brother. And Alice not only feels the pain and emotion of the world around her, she can literally see it in a range of colours emanating from everyone uh, and sometimes everything. So we began by asking if it ever got tiring hearing about the enormous sales numbers that I've just been banging on about. Never. I mean, I wish you could be in my office with me every day, just as a welcome. Here's your yes. little bio, and that would uh, give me the ego boost to write for the that rest way of the you day. Could, uh, you could take a recording of what Fee just said. Yes. Just, you could have it on your iPhone. I think yeah, I, will. I mean, those we are all need that every now and then. Astonishing success. I mean, it's just, it is in enormous, isn't it? It actually it just is. is, yeah. Um, sometimes, yeah, I take a moment. Usually when I'm sitting at my desk about to write, I just think, how lucky am I? You know, it's... I love writing. I would do it regardless. And the fact that I can get to do it as a job is is incredible. And those numbers are phenomenal. Um, but it helps to have, you know, I have a shelf of my books in my office. And sometimes when when the ink kind of goes dry <laughs> in my pen, I look up and I go, Cecilia, you've done this before. You can do it again. So it is helpful to to have that history. And is that metaphorical ink in your pen? Or are you actually writing writing? Well, I actually write, yeah. So I oh. still write longhand. Um, I love pen on paper. I mean, I love physically writing. I think I'm a very visual writer. So when I'm, I, I'm seeing the picture in my head of what I'm, what I'm writing, and then I'm just documenting what I'm seeing. So um, typing for me always felt quite mechanical. So I write longhand a chapter, and then I transcribe. Then I edit, edit as I go along. So, right, that's remarkable. Yeah. You yeah, must I think be one of the few rare. writers yeah. still doing that. I mean, yeah. I'll never be a hand model with the, these bumpy, lumpy writer fingers. <laughs> but it's, um, it's just really satisfying. I, I really like, you know, I, I learned cursive writing in primary school and that's the way I like to, to keep it. And do you think it is, it's different as well? Because it's a slightly slower connection, isn't it, between your brain and your hand. If you're typing, you can probably do far more words a minute. Yes. So do you think that helps in the way I do. I think that the, the pace of it, yes. I think it really helps. It gives me more time to think, um, more time to, you know, structure the sentence, figure out what it is I'm trying to say, uh, to formulate the thoughts. Absolutely. I mean, I, I write better than I speak. <laughs> So, well, your speaking's pretty we, should, uh, we don't want to spend too much time on this, but obviously everyone is always fascinated by a writer's routine. I mean, are you mm. a nine to five, go up to my study, shut the door, break for a salad at one or... I used to be, actually. I used to be very regimental like that, but I do have three kids, so it changes, oh, yeah. you know, depending <laughs> on what's going on in their lives. So right now, I, I think I write about four hours a day. Um, at each sitting, I'll write um, a chapter. But uh, I'm very get you know very I suppose disciplined and that I begin usually a book in January which is due in May and I edit for the summer and then it's usually published in the autumn but oh. we've changed the date now to April so um I will stick to something similar to that but that's how I've been able to write the one book a year and it's quite rhythmic it certainly yeah. is yeah mm. uh, tell us a little bit more about this book then and why you believe it to be your best work yet <laughs> so that sounds very egotistical doesn't it but um I do I feel it is my best um 
And I wanted to write a story about what it's like to be empathetic and what it's like to be highly sensitive. And I wanted to, I suppose, explain to people who aren't, uh, many people who aren't empathetic or sensitive, uh, by using colours as emotions. Because um, if you can see how someone can transfer a bad mood or, you know, a mean word or even love, you know, if you can see that in, um, being transferred in colour from one person to the next, then it's a bit more powerful or easier to understand. So this is the journey that Alice... Uh, my main character takes. She can see people's emotions, moods in the form of colours around their bodies. And if the colour travels to her and gets on her or touches her, then she can feel exactly how people are feeling. So it kind of, she sees it as very much uh, as a burden. And she tries to shield herself from people, becoming easily overwhelmed by how everyone else in the world is feeling and loses sight of herself. Mm. I think it's a really clever book uh, to have written at the moment because I think we're just starting to understand a bit more, aren't we, about what life is like for really, really empathetic people. It's, a, it's usually very closely linked to anxiety disorders, actually, isn't it? Because it's that feeling that you mm. take on everything in the world around you. You don't quite have the same barriers that other people have. Yes, and I think that... Uh, and I would consider myself empathetic and, and at times in my life highly sensitive, not always. I think it depends what's going on. But... Um, and I think before, if you say someone was sensitive, you'd think their, their feelings get hurt easily or, you know... And that's not the case. I think if you're sensitive, you're picking up on the energy in a room, you know, and that can be just very draining. So people have different ways of working. Sometimes being part of a team isn't always the most effective way for certain types of people. So I think the more people understand, the better, you know. And I have, you know, three different characters in this book with her, Alice and her siblings, who all deal with it in very different ways. Like mm. one lets the colours go over his head. Um, Alice is dodging it. And, and then her younger brother just absorbs everything. And I think even if you were to look at families, we all kind of grow up in the same way and yet siblings are affected in very different ways. Um, and we wonder how that is because we're just made differently. Some people absorb everything. Some people can let it go over their head. Mm. So I wanted to just show all that and how we cope differently. But synthesis is a real condition, as it were. I mean, it's a recognised neurological condition that some people do see colours or associate colours with different moods or, or people. Yes, I mean, yeah. Because you, you did some re research into it. I mean, I don't know. I was wondering if you'd <laughs> met people with synthesis and kind of talked to them about it or anything like I, that. I do, not in terms of emotions and colour, right. but of course, I know people who hear music and right. see colour. Um, and and even then, I didn't really want to write a book about that word, by the way, I can't even say synesthesia. <laughs> I'm going to have to learn I probably stopped saying no, it right. as well. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of explain a few different ways how it could happen, you know, physically or neurologically, or, you know, if there um, could be aura migraines or hormones or that word that I can't say. Synesthesia, um, I've been told. Oh, it's synesth to it's I still can't it. say it. I have a block on it. And I, <laughs> I should know for the book. Um... And for me, as the writer, I think that the character really has developed this as a form of coping, you know, surviving the family home that she's living in. And it, it is a form of survival because of her environment. So that is my explanation of it. But I did want to introduce introduce the various different real ways that people kind of are wired mm. differently. Mm. Do you return to other characters in previous books in your head sometimes? That's a good question. Um, I think I think because I'm writing a book a year, I don't really, I, I don't return. I mean, I did write a sequel 
for PSA Love You, which I said I would never do. So I did have to return. Um, but I think I, my aim is to bring them to a place where I feel that they're content, satisfied and ending on a good note. And then I move on to the next journey. Um, but I don't find I've had time to pause and look back on them. You know, if I took a year out, maybe. But no, I, no, I, I haven't. My aim is always to like, we in, were introduced to a character at the lowest point of their life. And, and I want to bring them to a high. I want it to be uplifting. And when you're writing them, when you're uh, in a book with them, do they kind of stay with you in the rest of your life as well? Or when you well, shut the study door, they're inside that? Yes, they. when I'm writing it, they are absolutely my world. And um, and it's, that's the magic of writing. I really feel like I'm living in another world mm. with all of these people that I'm so familiar with. And then all of a sudden... Yeah, I mean, five o'clock comes or whatever time and it's time to to snap out of it and be back in the room again. But it is this lovely feeling of kind of floating in between worlds, but feeling very familiar um, as if as if they're a part of me. Mm. You know, the, the characters are not me, but they they are created by me. So there's a part of me in them. So Adele Parks came in to see us a couple of months ago to talk about her latest book. And she said this extraordinary thing that when she starts writing a novel, uh, and creates these characters, she interviews the characters, I mean, in her imagination, to just find out a bit more about them. I thought that was so fascinating because mm. I'm not sure I'd really understood just how kind of fully formed a character can be in a writer's imagination. Yeah, I am going to say, I'm going to sound weird now, but I do hear their voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that sounds so weird. It does sound so <laughs> weird and it is very weird. It doesn't sound um, at all. So I'll always come up with the premise first for, for a story and then the character comes. Then I think, oh, who would find themselves in that position? And that's how the story then develops. And I'm not ready to write until I hear it the voice of the character. It's something happens one day, whatever I'm doing, I'll suddenly hear how they sound. You know, are they sarcastic? Are they cynical? Are they upbeat? Are they negative? I can hear them. Mm. And then when that's kind of on a loop in my head, then I know it's time to sit down and start writing because they're ready to speak and tell their story. But um, yeah, there is a kind of, I need to be able to hear them from and me. They, and you must, but do you have sort of 10 ideas going around your head at any one time? I mean, to produce a novel every year, is the, the 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 next one must already be in your head already? Yes, it is. Um, so it it takes a couple of years for them to be fully cooked. You know, they're they're simmering away, and um, and this was in my mind for about three years. But I was trying to find had the the idea, but I didn't know who the character was, and I couldn't find the story. So it takes a while. Um, That's interesting. And usually, when it comes time to writing the new novel, I would have two. And they're kind of battling them, <laughs> battling in, in my head. And it's the story I choose then is the story that is developing the most. Um, and are they set always in around Dublin and Ireland? or? or um, mostly. Uh, this is set in London, actually. Um, so I do move around a bit, but um, they are mostly set in Ireland. Yeah. yeah. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And our guest is Cecilia Ahern. Uh, lots of people will already know this, but some people might not. You are the daughter of a famous politician. Your father is Bertie Ahern, the former Irish Taoiseach. I can never say that word. Taoiseach. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you remember a childhood dominated by his work? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, he was kind of high-profile politics since I was uh, five years old. So that's all I remember. So it was all very normal. Um, and um, yeah, we were very aware of it. So life, life, life felt very normal. So I, I, I know <laughs> it doesn't seem normal, but it was normal. So I read a very lovely piece you did, the relative values oh, piece, yes. didn't you, yeah. uh, in the Times at the weekend, uh, where you were saying that you know your world was uh, completely dominated by his timetable. And I was reading through it, and I kept expecting the bit where you said, "And it was terrible," no. you know, and I had a, a kind of rebellion against him, and it was unfair and whatever. But actually, that didn't seem to be your uh, response at all. You seemed to have really enjoyed enjoyed your time as a well political child oh the way I look at it it was his time you know yeah. and that's his job and um we were we were his children so it wasn't really our world you know it was it was his um but but we got to be we were always we were with him you know we spent every Sunday with him so as I was explaining in that piece we never knew what the Sunday was going to bring you know we'd get into the car with him and he could be opening a sports day somewhere or you know opening a hotel or something it was always something lots of things in one day that we would go to and um it gave me so much I think insight like we left our bubble as kids and we mm. went to all parts of the country and met all kinds of lovely people and saw the world from their eyes and I think that has given me great insight into um people and humans which is what I do uh, which is what I write about so no I, I've I've no no negative. I mean, it, it probably wasn't the easiest for him, <laughs> but that was his job, not mine. Yeah. But you met a US president as well. I did. I met George Bush, um, actually, Which in one? the Oval Office. Oh, George Bush. Junior. Uh, junior. Junior, it was, wasn't it? I'm just yes. getting trying to sort out my dates. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good. Okay. Um, Dad was addressing Congress. Oh, you met him in the White House? Yeah, we were in the Oval Office, which was amazing. Um, I'll never forget that. Mm. And he was very, George Bush was very welcoming and very very humorous actually very funny and very kind so and how old were you then oh i was in my 20s then right yes. oh wow and serious stuff what's the oval <laughs> what's the oval office like bigger than it is on the west wing smaller so, <laughs> sofas in the same place it's funny that you mentioned the west wing because me and my husband were we were the biggest west wing fans and we were binge watching it at that stage so 
even though we were in the actual Oval Office with the actual president, we kept looking around expecting the, the cast of the West Wing to walk in. It kind of felt exactly... Um, everything always feels smaller, actually, doesn't it, when you're, when you're there, but it, it, it had that same uh, powerful feeling. You know, it mm. had an aura that you would expect. Yeah. And your dad, so George Bush has taken up painting. Your dad has, what, taken up an allotment? What's he doing? Yes, we have a family allotment. Well, he's doing lots of politics stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but when he's not doing that, um, yeah, there's an allotment, which we love. He spends a lot of time there with, with my kids and his grandkids, um, showing them how things grow, <laughs> which is very important. So I think, yeah, he's a lot more downtime now, and that's, that's kind of where we spend all our time. Obviously, it's the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement at the, at the moment, which allows for so much reminiscing about political mm. circles. But do you have any kind of personal memories of 25 years ago? Well, yes, actually, it was a very personal time because, um, well, it wasn't just that week, but for months it was ongoing. I remember kind of the intensity of it. Um, and how important it was, but also the week that the Good Friday Agreement was was signed was the week that my grandmother died, mm. my dad's mother. So it was quite intense. You know, he'd been travelling up and down to, from Dublin to uh, Belfast, to the hospital, to the funeral. It was quite a crazy time. So how he did all that, I have no idea, but, um, but yeah, it was it, an amazing week. There was a guy called Tom Kelly who was the spokesman for Blair uh, who was on the radio this week and made that point that your dad had shuttle between Dublin and Belfast and it was seen as a sign of his unbelievable commitment to the peace process that he's prepared to yeah to do that it's yeah amazing. absolutely he's incredibly dedicated and yeah and I'm very proud of him for what they achieved yeah but it can be an unforgiving job can't it when you've got stuff going on in your personal life it is not for the faint-hearted but Fee, Fee is <laughs> beautifully put Fee's caused a lot of controversy today by really? rejecting whistling in songs and I know that you're a singer as well. Oh, <laughs> I might whistle better than and I at sing. The end, at the, at the end, feel free, by the way, to whistle away, to drive feet around the bend. But with Eurovision, it's not just April, it's not just the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, it's the month of the Eurovision Song Contest in Liverpool. How can it? we forget April that? the 27th, I put it in my diary. Um, you've competed well, I didn't even make it to Eurovision, um, but I competed in the Euro Song, which was the Irish competition to represent Ireland, to go, you know, to go through to representing Ireland. Um, so I was in a band, a pop band called Shimmer, which was put together solely to represent the Euro Song. We we got a record deal and we recorded in Pete Waterman's studios, and that oh, was wow. very exciting. But we did not win, and we were subsequently dropped. <laughs> Oh, I wonder if we'll so be able my to... music career was over. <laughs> Do you think we'll be able to find it before the end of the programme? I'm pretty sure you will. It's haunting me. <laughs> I'm sure that is the joy of YouTube. Everything is up there somewhere. Uh, would you be embarrassed to hear it again? Oh, don't worry, we haven't got it all lined up, ready to go. We're not that professional. It, 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 keeps, it keeps popping up. I think now, more than anything, I look back and I go, I show my kids, look at mummy's waist, look at mummy. <laughs> I just ignore all the other stuff now and I'm like, look, look at me young. <laughs> Vibrant, shiny, <laughs> glossy young thing. <laughs> and are they proud of it or are they in that place where they're just embarrassed that, you know, you even exist, let alone on a public kind of Actually, place? Actually, funnily enough, my daughter, the 13-year-old, said, I think there's, I don't know you two exactly. Like, I think you've got other lives that we don't <gasps> yeah, know about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all they're coming starting out. to listen now. <laughs> Dawning realisation. Uh, do you think you have another 19 books in you? Absolutely. Because I can't do anything else. You know, it's just... It's a joy, and I, and I well touch wood, I can keep coming up with the ideas, but I just think it's it's in me to write, and it's how I kind of process the world. So I'm continuously curious and intrigued by things, 
And as long as I keep that up, then it, that I'll continue to write. But you've dedicated this one to your youngest child. Yes, Blossom. Blossom. Which presumably means you've now run out of people to dedicate your books <laughs> to. I'll have to have more babies. So would you like to dedicate it to Fee and me? That's a bit of an ask, Ed. <laughs> I would be honoured. Please don't. Please don't. You've, had, you've had 19 books you've had to find people to dedicate. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> you uh, finally run out. Do you ever worry, though, that that fluency might leave you? Is, yes, 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 I the do, muse, of course. The muse. Yeah. I do worry about it. And then, and there's always a point when I'm writing each novel that I think, uh-oh, you know, maybe I won't get to finish this one. Maybe that's it. Um but but I know that I can get through that because I have before. So I think I have to keep exercising that creative part of my brain. And um, as long as I keep that going, and I think it can create new ideas. But yes, I do worry about it going, and probably someday I will have that problem. But it's, um, it's I'll deal with that when I when I come to it. Yeah, yeah not for now. Uh, do you have any uh, top tips uh, of books that you are enjoying reading at the moment? I always love what's on a writer's bedside table. Oh gosh, of course. Why didn't I? Or do you just not? Can you not read other people's books when you're actually involved in your own? I do actually read. Um, I think that's important. I like to escape. It's like anyone else, you know, when you finish your day's work, you like to escape to another story. So it doesn't... I never listen to radio when I get home. <laughs> I listen to Times Radio continuously. He's drunk the Kool-Aid. I even, I even text other programmes. Do you? Yes. Okay. They've stopped reading out my texts. Text Have they? Yeah. Oh, dear. Have we got some kind of a klaxon that comes up when your number is very, very embarrassing. Well, that was the author Cecilia Hearn. My reflection on Cecilia Hearn is the following. Yes. She was absolutely charming, really nice, really liked her. Uh, I'm a massive admirer of her. I've never actually read any of her novels, but I think what she does and achieves is very interesting. She's clearly, uh, she's pretty humble. You know, she's saying how lucky she was to have found something that's you know, she loves doing, which has now become her career. Uh, I didn't get a selfie. Oh, no, you didn't. You're right. It really put me off the rest of the programme thinking... A celeb got away from me. Oh, I'm so sorry. But I did get her to sign a copy of her novel. Well, maybe you could just do that as the social media picture. You just hold up the novel and have a picture of yourself. Oh, just yes, with the book. I like that. Yep. <laughs> Jenny Eggclair gave me well. a very hard time for posting a picture yesterday of her and me and you. And yes, she well, claims you, it you wasn't a nice great. photo of her because I was only interested in how I looked. But I didn't think I looked that good. I mean, come on. I know, but Jenny had her eyes shut, and as somebody pointed out to me, I look like I'm just about to enter a fist fight with somebody. <laughs> you do look like a presidential candidate. It's just quite strange. <laughs> uh, I was really amazed at what Cecilia said at the beginning of the interview about the fact that she writes in longhand. Oh, yes, that was interesting. Because I don't know about you, but when uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I would be able to write a page of longhand and then expect anybody to be able to read yeah, it. Least I've of all lost you. the art of handwriting. I couldn't handwriting. read my own handwriting. Yeah. Um, I don't type very quickly because I, I see you can obviously touch type. I can. And I've never learned to touch type. Uh, but I think I would, if I was going to write a book, I would type it on a screen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so but all it is interesting. People do like to do. I think I think Lee Child writes his books by hand, but maybe I completely imagined that. Quite a few no novelists still do. So interesting. Kind of, it's part of the ritual, and we did talk a bit about her ritual of work. You know, the she does four hours a day, tries to write a chapter a day. I mean, it is work, and lots of novelists, however brilliant and inspired they are, treat it. You know, organize a working day. 
Yes, and it's definitely a job. Yeah. And I think there there are so many authors, aren't there, who get really, really fed up with people at book signings. You know, there'll be a whole line of people in front of them. Go, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a book one day. I'm going to try writing a book one day. And it's kind of like you wouldn't say that to a surgeon. You wouldn't say that to a yes, lawyer. A it's just a point. very, it's very odd, isn't it? Yeah. And but, I liked, uh, obviously, it was good to reflect on her father, the prime minister, which I can imagine probably gets a bit irritating to have to talk about that because obviously her passion are her novels, not that she's got a problem, but given she has done a relative values, I hadn't realised the relative values in the Sunday Times magazine was literally last week. It was. All so about Bertie and I thought it was one we sort of dug up from the archive, but she's relative values is part of the promotion of the book, so I felt less guilty talking to her about her father and also obviously it being the weekend of the Good Friday Agreement anniversary, it was particularly pertinent because her father was in fact the shock the Irish Prime Minister doing that negotiation. Mm. Uh, so we just loved seeing her. Thank you very much indeed to Cecilia Hearn for coming in. Uh, final email from me. This one is from somebody who doesn't want their surname read out, but I think you're happy to have your first name, Naomi. Hope so. Dear Jane and Fee, uh, just writing to say you're a great distraction and comfort when I've come home from yet another terrible date. Dating is never easy, even in my late 40s, when I feel more resilient and confident in myself than ever before. But being treated badly and disrespectfully by a man still makes me crumple. Uh, Naomi, it is a familiar theme on this podcast, and we love hearing from people about things that have gone wrong, things that have gone well. But I'm really sorry, because I think that is crushing uh, when you come back, because every single date contains in it, doesn't it, uh, all of your hopes and dreams. I don't think it matters how old you are. I think it doesn't matter how much you try and put a lid on it. I think you go into every date thinking, this could be it. Uh, so I really sympathise and I hear you. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. It's Jane and Fee at Times.Radio. It will be the other Jane and me tomorrow. Jane Will Kerens uh, will be stepping into Jane Garvey's shoes. Uh, Jane Garvey is back on Monday. Draw a diagram. It'll make absolutely perfect <laughs> sense. Uh, Ed Vasey, thank you very much indeed for your company over the last couple of days. If you want to find more of Ed, he's on Times Radio. When? Friday at 7pm. Lovely stuff. So it's a good night from me and it's a good night from... From her. <laughs> good night. Good night. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, ladies. A lady listener. I'm just sorry. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.